This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Shall we begin? together okay did we know each other hello uh, well i knew you so i suppose you must have known me princeton's like a fog america's like a fog <laughs> well you should come and have lunch with us before you go yes sure anytime well coincidence <laughs> BFM 89.9, you're listening to Popcorn Culture with Lynn, Sharmila and Arvin. And together, we are taking it back 24 years to 1999's The Talented Mr. Ripley, written and directed by Anthony Minghella, and of course, based on the novel of the same name uh, from 1955 by Patricia Highsmith. Wow, 24 years really does make you feel something, huh? Um, I mean, this movie was such a big deal when it came out because everyone was talking about it. Um, it was Matt Damon post Goodwill Hunting, so it was this turn that nobody expected. I'm really glad we decided to throw back to it on the fairly tenuous connection to Tomorrow's Haunting in Venice. It's not tenuous. Okay, it's set it's, in Venice. Yeah, it's movies in Venice. <laughs> <laughs> Although this does sort of traipse around Italy quite a bit. Um, but I'm really glad we decided to throw back to it because it's such a good watch. It's such a good rewatch. There's so much about this movie to enjoy and like sort of chew into. The I, I liked revisiting this for the simple reason that it's so distracting how young everyone is <laughs> and how different everyone looks. Like, they are so, so fresh-faced and boyish and girlish. And we, like, the, the most recent thing we saw Matt Damon in, he was telling uh, Oppenheimer to build a bomb. <laughs> and I'm like, that, this is not the same Matt Damon um, that's I, in this movie. I kept thinking time comes for us all. And yeah. I felt great about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but but overall, like, like I love this movie. Uh, it, it's a weird thing to say about a psychological thriller but it has that 90s coziness to it and the 90s warmth um, and also just seeing like Hollywood heavyweights in their prime la, and you know when they were quote unquote that new class of actor that that was fun. So the film, I think you get a sense of how it looks and feels um, in that clip. I don't know if you can hear sunshine and Italian beaches, but that's what you're supposed to be hearing from that. Anyways, Talented Mr. Ripley is the story of one Tom Ripley who gets into the scam of a lifetime in many ways, just ends up having a parent of an itinerant child believe that he, in fact, went to Princeton and knew his son and said, can you please just go to Italy? I'll pay you to go to Italy because you're such a stand-up young man. Go there and persuade my son and his partner, his girlfriend, to come back to New York because they've been there too long. And that's a simple enough premise. But what Tom Ripley does is start trying to 
do multiple things at once, right? To live on someone else's dime, um, to perhaps start trying to get into someone's life by osmosis, to become somebody by osmosis, to fall in love and force someone else to fall in love with him just by virtue of proximity. He does all these things, all while shifting identities seamlessly, almost from second to second, scene to scene throughout the film. I that's such a great great synopsis of a movie without giving it away because it's tough to talk about the film without giving away what's at the heart of it right um I also think that it's because the movie is a few different things at once um on the one hand it's one of those movies that makes you deeply deeply want to go to the places it's set in it's just beautifully shot um the sun-drenched streets of this beachside town in Italy for instance um or Venice or Rome uh, but then it's also a story of obsession it's a it's a story Story about a con or a scam. Um, it's also a story about a deeply lonely person and why he is that way. And there's so much there that even though it's not very long, by the end of the film, you feel like you've kind of lived years with these people. Yeah, and, and I think the reason this movie is so different, right, uh, from other psychological thrillers is because it really isn't about the mystery or the thing that happens at the heart of it. Um, like this is purely a Matt Damon as Tom Ripley vehicle. Um, and the thing that draws you in is really this guy's sort of strange, weird, unsettling behavior. Because you know the answer to the mystery. There's no mystery at the core of this movie. And now it's about watching this unhinged character sort of weasel his way out of tight situations, like every single tight situation that he encounters. And I think that's different. Like, there aren't a lot of movies that do that because most of the time they're keeping you guessing as to what's happening. This one, it sort of tells you at the get-go, like, yeah, this has happened and now watch this guy. Watch this guy and are you rooting for him or are you not? And I think mm. that that tends to yeah. be the, the tricky, slippery bit, right? Because um, I'll just say that people die and people die pretty awful deaths, um, even if they were awful people. It's not necessarily deaths that you would have wished upon them and they die and they are all perpetrated by one person. And yet <laughs> through the whole thing, you are left wondering whether you're supposed to be feeling sorry for him. You know, is that the emotion that you're supposed to feel? Do you want him to get away with it do you not um, you know th there are all these things that get wrapped up and that's another thing that sets it apart because you don't end up liking him I don't think that anybody leaves it going oh he was the real hero but you do find yourself questioning whose side am I on anyway you know where where am I supposed to be and because of that it's an uncomfortable feeling I, I remember watching this movie when it first came out too young um, and feeling deeply uncomfortable and that had I suspect a lot to do with the sensuality of the film it's a very sensual film but the other thing was also because of this exact thing of not knowing which side of the moral divide I was supposed to be on there's a lot of reasons for that I think because partly partly the things that Tom Ripley does you might not go nearly that far but you can kind of understand the motivation uh, the life that Dickie Greenleaf lives uh, the kind of access Tom now gets because he's around in, in Dickie Greenleaf's orbit Dickie Greenleaf played by Jude Law beautifully and fantastically um, and, and you kind of almost get it right you kind of there's a line where um, Gwyneth Paltrow says you know being around Dickie is like the sun shines on you and it's not just because he himself is that kind of person it's he's incredibly 
extremely wealthy. He gets to basically just faff around in Italy, living off of his allowance from his dad. Um, the worst thing that's happened to him is that his dad wants him to come home. So you kind of empathize with the not-so-great character, i.e. Matt Damon's. At the same time, though, that makes you question your own morals. And I think that's quite a neat trick. So are you supposed to empathize with him when he's doing the, the, the monologues and he's getting all sappy about himself? Because I, I found myself rolling my eyes sometimes. Mm. I'm like, ugh, no, this again, or, or this story. And I don't know if that was done on purpose because the movie does paint him as kind of a... as kind of a leech in, in some scenes. Oh, totally. You know? mm. um, I, I thought when someone finally calls him a leech... I cheered. <laughs> I was just like, yeah. yes, finally, <laughs> stop letting him eat your oranges and drink your wine. This guy is not okay. But then again, the people he does it to also, you're kind of like, you're not even that great. I think you might even deserve for people to treat you this way because you don't treat other people very nicely. That's true. Because I, I, it keeps, like, like, like you said, it keeps going back and forth between, like, I don't like this guy, but I don't like the other guys either. But who is the worst guy in this situation? <laughs> like, who are the worst kind of people? Um, and I think only someone like Matt Damon could have played a role like that, right? It's his face, like, you know, without being, like, too superficial about it. He has a very boyish, innocent, good guy face. And I think if you cast someone with any bit of a sinister thing in there, imagine a Christian Bale. Like, you wouldn't believe a Christian Bale is conflicted about anything that he's doing. But a Matt Damon, you're like, oh, maybe there is a, a spark of goodness in this guy. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't enter a Christian Bale Venetian apartment. You know no, what I mean? Like, it's just not happening. It's American Psycho, lah. Yes, yeah. yes. Uh, whereas Matt Damon, I think the boyishness is very key to the whole thing. We'll come back and talk more about the performances. We're talking today about the talented Mr. Ripley, directed and written, in fact, by Anthony Minghella, starring Matt Damon, Jude Law, Gwyneth Paltrow, Kate Blanchett, Philip Seymour Hoffman. It is stacked. Um, let us know. Do you remember watching this film? Do you have you seen it yet? Do you like it? WhatsApp 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. But films, man. BFM 89.9, the business station. Do an impression. The only talent my son has is for cashing his allowance. What? Oh, I like to sail. Believe me, I love to sail. Instead, I make boats. Stop! Other people sail them. It's too much. You're making all the hairs on my neck stand up. Oh, yes, jazz. Oh, jazz, let's face it. It's just, uh, it's just insolent noise. <laughs> I feel like he's here. <laughs> Horrible, like the old bastard's here right now. Good. That's brilliant. Brilliant! <laughs> BFM 89.9, you're listening to Popcorn Culture with Lynn Charmilan Arvin and we are talking about the talented Mr. Ripley from 1999. You just heard that two of its stars, Matt Damon and Jude Law. Let's talk about him because... so. I I think that this movie belongs to Jude Law. I really do. I think that he is the, the most charismatic person on screen. He encapsulates the thing that Dickie Greenleaf is supposed to feel like, like somebody that you just want to be around, but you hate yourself for wanting to be around, and then you hate him for making you want to be around the person that you hate. And it's a whole thing. And because he's not in all of the film, the, the bits where he isn't there... I, I felt like it dragged. I felt like I missed having that sort of central character nexus to pull things along. 
The sunshine. The sunshine. Yeah. No, it's true, though. Or at least that's how I felt. Oh, he's literally golden in the movie. Also, I mean, yeah, you're right, Arvin. Just like watching Jude Law at that pinnacle of good looks, you know, the, the charisma that he brings on the screen. The grin. Yeah. And he's perfect, right? There's a reason he's cast in this role because you have to believe the central um, obsession that uh, Tom Ripley develops with his character for all aspects of his life, right? Um, otherwise, the extent to which he's willing to go uh, in the movie doesn't make sense anymore. Um, but at the same time, you need to simultaneously, like you said, Lynn, like him, kind of fall in love with him a little bit, but also despise him. And that's a lot that he's doing. I, I loved watching him in the film. Um, I didn't think the movie dragged without him, though. I think that his presence kind of lasted for quite a bit. Um, so, I, I yeah, I, I thought he was, it is his movie, I think. Oh, that is so interesting because I found him insufferable in the in the movie uh, from the beginning right when he starts I'm like this guy is way too loud and he needs to turn it down like a, like a few notches uh, I didn't feel the movie dragged without him I, I, I was completely locked onto whatever Matt Damon was doing as Tom Ripley I found that to be like super super magnetic because it's so strange like everything that he's doing is supposed to be someone pretending to be normal and I found that like so interesting to watch. It's also funny how like like Matt Damon has done so much in the late '90s, uh, Goodwill Hunting and and Saving Private Ryan, Chasing Amy, Dogma, um, and I think this is his biggest flex, like the most acting that he has done. But it's the movie that gets quoted the least or gets listed the least. Like you name all those other movies before naming this one, right? Which I found to be a bit strange, lah, because I think he's doing the most acting in this movie. So. I was reading reviews because I was curious about this, right? And um, there, I don't think that there was a consistent agreement about how people felt about Matt Damon's acting. Um, there were people who felt like this was uh, a flex that failed. There were others who regarded it as, you know, um, a really good performance. I think it's a really good performance, um, but it ends up getting not cited as much because ultimately... It's weird, right? He's a very hollow character. Um, there's not that moment where he becomes bad. He doesn't break bad. Um, in fact, the stuff that he does, even though it's unthinkable and it's inhumane, when he does it, I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I suppose. I think he was always like that. <laughs> You're just waiting for the opportunity. Well, actually, that's literally it, isn't it? From the beginning of the film to the end, he doesn't actually change. This is who he always is. He just becomes a fully realized version of himself. Maybe a, a person, a version of himself put into an extreme circumstance. Yes. And yeah. also, we never knew what he was before. So it's a difficult yeah. character to kind of hold on to. And maybe in a way that makes sense because Mr. Ripley is a difficult like, nobody gets a sense of who he is. Even he probably doesn't know who he is. You know what I really like also? Um, for all the character work that's going on and all the acting, right? Um, how the movie isn't bending itself backwards to support the thriller. Like, most thrillers will be painted, like, in a certain way to show you that something sinister is happening, something bad is happening. Uh, they'll be moody and gloomy and dark, uh, unsettling music. But this movie is painted like a rom-com, like a quirky drama or comedy even, right? Like, the, the places look beautiful, the settings look beautiful, it's all, like, sunny and, and blue skies and blue seas, um, like everyday life. So with something bad happening to some characters. Lah. Um, and, I, and I really like that. Um, like the world in the movie doesn't revolve around 
the events that are happening in it, if that makes sense. It's very White Lotus, right? I kept thinking about that. It's I, very White Lotus, yeah. Because yeah. it's such a, it's an earlier version of of White Lotus because it has so much to do with class and fraud and pretending and sex and, you know, it... it it kind of circles all these things. So it's very White Lotus season two specifically. And it's even set in, in Italy as well. No, and I think the time period that it's set in, the 1950s, also lends itself to a kind of feel, the way people dress, the way locations look. And I found myself thinking so many times while watching this movie how this plot wouldn't fly in today's world. Well, it, his scam wouldn't last yeah, a second. Because it, it relies on people knowing a name, but not knowing what people might look like. And that's such a clever thing. It wouldn't even have really worked in the 1990s when the movie came out. So the movie had to be set in this time period. Um, and I thought there was something very clever. And watching it today also makes it feel a little bit like that elevated cinema feel, like you're watching something that isn't quite real. It's it's a bit embarrassing how long it took me to realize that this was the 50s la. Um, I was watching it and then I was like, when when is this? Like the 80s, then they're using like typewriters. I'm like, why are they using typewriters in the, the late 80s and the 90s? Then I figured out it's way, way, way before. It's, it's, a, it's a period piece. Um, and I didn't know it was a period piece uh, because I thought it was just set in like the 80s or 90s. Because they're all in beachwear. <laughs> Who can yeah, tell? Yeah, they're all in beachwear. <laughs> well, except for one psycho who's in beachwear and office shoes. Yes. Yeah. And just resolutely keeps doing that. But yes, I, I was thinking about that while you were saying, Arvind, that it doesn't bend over backwards to accommodate the thriller concept, right? Because a big part of that is that um, there was just a gap. Telegrams were a thing. Letters <laughs> were a thing. You know, that there's no biometrics happening here. You walk into a bank, you say you're somebody, and then you get money. All you need is a passport. That's the thing. And, and there is a moment where, with all due respect to Matt Damon, who in his heyday was a sex symbol as well, um, there is a moment where Jude Law... <laughs> peak Jude Law looks at Matt Damon and goes, you know, without the glasses, we look alike. And I'm like, yeah, okay, sure. In the 50s when nobody had seen both of you. But that's what I mean, right? The premise only works in that time. No, and I love it. I, I kind of love it. I love... So there are a number of things about this movie. I also don't think that a movie like this would be a cinema release today. It would be a streaming We don't do dramas thing. anymore. Yeah, and again, that's something I miss. The being able to enjoy um, a drama with big stars doing their mostest on screen. I kind of miss that. Oh, doing so much of the mostest. Mm -hmm. All of them. Um, also, Jude Law looking down on Matt Damon in the movie. You know? Um, when you see, like, Matt Damon is, is ripped, like, beyond... Like, I don't know why he was so ripped or why he had to be that ripped. And looking at him like he's some sort of... Uh, you know, like a casual-looking guy. I'm like, there's, there's no way this guy's a casual-looking guy. Like, is Matt Damon, like, are you kidding me? Like, what is this movie trying to do? So, overall, right, um, I think that this is a really fun rewatch for me. Um, yeah. I would recommend it to people. I do think it's very 90s. Um, it's a very old-fashioned movie and people need to be prepared for that a bit. I think it's okay because, like Arvind said, it feels completely like you cannot... It all feels like it's set in the past. So you kind of forget mm. what past it is. I would also deeply recommend it. It's such a watchable film. It holds up really well. Holds up really well and doesn't feel like the two hours and 14 minutes, two hours and 15 minutes that it is. Um, it goes by super fast. I felt like it was barely an hour and a half long. So we've been talking today about the talented Mr. Ripley from 1999 
stacked, stacked with stars. Uh, let us know if you've watched it and if you remember liking it or not so much. We like hearing from you. You can WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio and write to us at movies at bfm.my. listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.